sometimes we have to recognize our people why they're still here that's doing great things. Because sometimes people need to see us also doing great things. Not saying the professionals, but also the youth. Sometimes youth need to see us doing certain things, getting awards and doing stuff. So now they believe in their mind that they can achieve and do this. That's important to me. That was Robert Chagall, president and CEO of Recorder Media Group, talking about his unique experiences that have driven his success here in Indiana. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. It's so nice to have you on the Freedom Forum. You and I have gotten to know each other quite a bit well, but there's so much I feel like Central Indiana business community could learn from having you and particularly about the legacy you preserve, which I'm excited to talk about today. But before we get started, I'd like you to tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that have led to you becoming the president and CEO of Recorder Media Group, including quite a few things, right? The Indianapolis Recorder, particularly one of the oldest African-American news publications in the country. Yes. Thanks so much, Angela. As you said, originally I'm uh, from Mississippi. I left, I graduated school in the early 90s, retired military. I went into the military. I did 23 and a half years, the, the United States Navy. So growing up, growing up from Mississippi, I was raised on a farm. So we had chores. My father was also in the National Guard. So imagine just that part of it. And, you know, my brothers and sisters, he always taught us, my mother, my whole family, just about leadership, doing things together, doing stuff. So while in the military, I uh, traveled the world. I, my first duty station was Charleston, South Carolina. I did some time in Japan, did, did times, time everywhere. You remember the aircraft carrier, the submarine. As I tell people, uh, being a, a young African-American kid from Mississippi, imagine my MOS mean um, my job title in the military was a torpedo technician. So you remember, so um, you remember, my father used to always said to be my sister and brother, you all are going to school for free. So get the best of your education and doing things and doing stuff. So while in the military, just taking leadership courses, taking things, learning, learning from my chief petty officer, learning from my people around me, just how to lead, how to do things as a team. So before I got out of the military, I, um, I was able to come back to a part of um, Mississippi. It was about 20 minutes from Jackson, Mississippi, where I went to school at Jackson State University. Got my bachelor's degree in two and a half years. Wow. Yeah, two and a half years. So I took it seriously. At the same time while I was enrolled at Jackson State, imagine me also being enrolled in a community college. So I had a professor then that told me, son, what are you going to do differently than these 1,500 people that's graduated from Jackson State University? So that instilled in me to do more. So I graduated Jackson State with my bachelor's degree in uh, criminal justice. I always wanted to be be a lawyer for some reason. Mm. You know, because <laughs> 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 uh, I grew up, you know you know how you grow up, you um, see things on TV, uh, the Perry Masons and other things and stuff uh, about helping people and doing certain things. Mm. But uh, but I quickly learned that's not what I wanted to do. So I went back to Jackson State also to get my master's degree in uh, political science. So while doing that, my, my background is, um, is not journalism per se, but it's business and finance. 
let me ask you this. You're a veteran, right? I mean, that's basically what you've told us. And I knew that, but I had no idea you were in 23 years. That's a whole career. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's amazing. And, you know, just amongst DE&I statistics, veterans are often included, although they're often overlooked. You don't hear a lot about veterans when you're talking about DE&I, right? Often the, we're much more focusing on ethnic populations or sexual orientation or whatever the case may be. So once you were no longer in the service, you were able to get on your feet, navigate your way into the professional and business community, right? How did you do that? And what can Indiana businesses do to better support our veterans who served for us and are coming back to have exactly what you've had, a professional opportunity and a career from that experience? To me, the military allows you and gives you the opportunity to learn so much. Even though my job was a torpedo technician, I had to become a certified firefighter because on some of the ships I was on, uh, we was at sea. And uh, if the ship caught a fire, you right. had to know how to do certain things. You know, you, <laughs> it wasn't no jumping on a board. So, um, so a, a lot of the military skills, it, it teaches you how to, to do transferable skills, but it, it, it teaches you about teamwork. Teamwork is very important to me in, um, in any business. You know, even now that I'm the president and CEO of, of the recorder, I involve my team in so much. Accident, what do you need? How can I be able to help you, sir? How can I be able to help you grow as a person? You need to attend this event with me. You need to go here and do certain things. Because to me, that's that's teaching and showing them the way to do certain things. Often when people come in, especially me being not from here, coming here, we don't understand how to navigate or how to how to do certain things. So I'm hoping that more people will will um, take mentors, uh, do certain things to help young people, to help African-American people do certain things and uh, show them the way. Sometimes we have to be shown the way. You mean show us the way, teach us the way. And um, sometimes we may fail, fail at the way, but that don't mean give up on us. Keep doing things and doing stuff. I, I appreciate, I mean, what you mentioned about the military teaching you transferable skills, right? Because Alan Mills was just on recently, and he talked about how his father was in the military and how just with his father being in the military, it instilled in him so many things that really he helped make him, that helped make him successful in the field of law and also being exposed to so many different kinds of people. So when he came into the legal profession, you know, he was already very familiar with working with white people, even though he had come from down south where it was still segregated, but because he had been in the military or at least exposed to the military, that was so many. So so I appreciate those worldly class lessons that you get that the military teaches you. I mean, there's got to be something amazing to be young, diverse and go to Japan or go to, you know, around the world. Like that's that's experiences that many professionals don't have. You're absolutely right. As I tell people, imagine me, as I always say, you, you uh, often hear me refer back to where I came from, Mississippi. But imagine me being 19 years old at the 1992 Olympics. In Barcelona, Spain, you have the opportunity to meet the dream team. You remember Michael Jordan and all of them. So that opened my eyes up to to want to be more, to want to do more. Sometimes we as mean we as black people, we as in certain communities, we don't have the ability to go places or we don't have hope, hope or think that we can be something or do something. 
exposure is everything, right? I say that to me. Yeah. If you, we, we say it all the time. If you can see us, you can be us. But when you don't see, when you don't have the opportunity to see professionals and the dream team and people around the world doing all kinds of different jobs from a torpedo technician to a lawyer, to a sailor, to a fighter, to a whatever, it's hard to know what opportunities are available when you don't have exposure. It is the same for me. Exposure is how I got here. I had no idea. You said you dreamt about being a lawyer. I had no idea what being a lawyer was when I was young. So I absolutely appreciate the unique experiences that the military provided to you. And I also want to talk, you mentioned that you went to Jackson State. Yes. Jackson State is a HBCU, right? Is a historically black college or university. And I know with that also had to come some very unique experiences. So I'd like you to also tell us, because we've seen more recently, particularly since the George Floyd murders, how there's been so much attention on historically black colleges and universities in a way that there never was was or seemingly was before then. There has been a lot of recognition, particularly, again, in the professional community, that there are a lot of Black professionals that come out of HBCUs, which are really great institutions. So tell me what you learned there. What unique experiences did you have at Jackson State that you also believe helped get you to where you are now and help teach you things that I may have not have learned at a predominantly white institution. Imagine growing up in uh, one of my favorite football players, Walter Payton, went to Jackson State University. When I got out of the military, I had the opportunity to go anywhere. You know, I had a full ride scholarship. You've got the military paid for it. Even at Jackson State, I was on um, an academic scholarship. I graduated summa cum laude, bachelor's and master's degree. But one thing that Jackson State did for me was they wrapped their hands around me. This is what you need to do. This is what you, you, you're going to do. It, it gave me the feeling of a sense of belonging, a sense of family, a sense of if I step out of line that they're going to wrap their arms around me, but also tell me. Yeah. Big this mama. Is what you, yes. <laughs> this is what you better do or, or else. So sometimes we need that. You know, we, we need it. My, my sister graduated from, um, Ole Miss, um, Ole Miss, but I had always, Want to go to a HBCU? A HBCU. You remember? Sometimes people also think think the HBCUs are not as good as other schools. But as you said earlier, it's it's so many professionals that have come out of HBCUs: lawyers, doctors, basketball players, football players, and doing certain things. So to me, it's it's about you going to a school and giving it your all, no matter what school you're at. But as I say again, me going to HBCU was about the family almost a family component of it, that community component of it. I think I've heard that from so many people who go to a HBCU, and it is different. I mean, and I've even heard, I mean, my son just went to college in the last year, so I've been having these conversations with other parents as we're considering what schools and institutions are the best for our kids. And I remember talking to some parents through CLD who were so adamant that, their kids needed to go to a HBCU. They were they wanted them to have that experience. They felt like they needed that experience. They weren't quite ready to be in the corporate or, or larger community. And they wanted them to get that sense of self right before they went. So one thing that I've always said, and I, I just want to ask your thoughts since you are a HBCU grad, is that for me, 
being at a predominantly white institution or a PWI allowed me to experience what you really experience when you're in the corporate community or in the larger, broader professional communities. It seems like no matter where we are and how diverse our organizations are, we're still amongst predominantly white institutions. So I really appreciate it. I learned, I think, how to navigate. And for me, I've told you this story and many others. I came from a mostly white town. So I've always been the minority. But when you are from a place like Mississippi, where you certainly have plenty of diverse folks and then go to a HBCU, did you feel more confident going into a community where you are the minority? Or was that a learning curve you kind of had to learn when you got there? It makes you feel more confident, more brave, more uh, more able to do things and do stuff. You mean, as I tell often, I tell people they mad at me growing up, growing up where I grew up from. I was uh, a shy kid, kid. I um, had a bad speech impediment. So uh, imagine me, me not um not having as much confidence. Um, you mean having as much confidence? It took took about the ninth grade for me to get training and do do things and doing stuff and doing things for me to even come on on your podcast, speaking about things and doing stuff. But uh, one thing also that to me that the HBCU Jackson State did for me was uh, besides the confidence piece, 90% of the people you see are doctors, lawyers, professionals, I'm black. So it, as I say again, again, it gives you exposure, exposure. Plus it gives you the, the uh, confidence that if they can do it, we, I can do it. You know what I mean? And that's key. That is key. Because I will say, I mean, once again, that's what I didn't have. That's why this is a whole second career for me is because my whole first career, I didn't even know this was a thing. Right. And that's what you got exposed to way early because you were in those environments. And I just saw them, but saw them being successful and leading and being pillars of the community. And I do appreciate how that sends your whole trajectory and your whole ability to dream about what you want to do to another level. So you grow up with all these unique experiences. You're from the deep South. You go into the military. You then go to a HBCU. You've got all these unique experiences. And then you come to Indiana. (laughs) Okay. So I want you to describe some of the challenges, maybe even culture shock that you face when making Indiana your home. And when you reflect on that, what also can schools, organizations, employers, whatever, do to help diverse employees or people feel a sense of that inclusion that you're talking about that you felt at the HBCUs? What can they do when they're transferring from wherever, the North or the South, East or West to Indiana, and want to feel that sense of belonging in their community in a way that allows you to overcome that culture shock and really be able to make the Hoosier State your home. Let me give a shout out to my wife, who she's probably the main reason why I I even came to Indiana. Love will make you do crazy (laughs) things. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. But but besides me going and going into the military, being a military, going around the world and seeing different places, you're right. Coming to certain cities uh, like Indiana, it, it can be a culture shock because sometimes in certain places, no matter what position you have, no matter what title you have, you are seen as beneath, not educated enough, no matter how, edu- how much education you have. No matter- so to me, what I do at my job, we have a very diverse staff, very diverse staff, white, Latino, Hispanic, uh, black, and all of them. So we have to, in Indiana, we have to figure out a way 
to better engage people. Ask them what they want. Having conversations with them, finding out more about them, their family, their kids, X, Y, Z, and all of that. You I mean, I, I can probably tell you my my whole staff, whether they're married, whether they have kids, whether they are, you remember their dreams and all of that. One reason why, because cause I take the time to listen. I also listen to them to see what they want and what they need. And uh, to me, sometimes um, some cities don't offer that or they're not willing to go that extra mile, that extra step. But uh, as I always tell people here, since I've been here, Indiana has a has a unique uniqueness of attracting talent. But once you attract someone, what are we going to do to go a step above to keep them here? So we have to figure out because the way times are now, people are not just, just coming to places to just for a job. They want a sense of belonging and being a part of something. So you're right. It's it's a culture shock. And uh, sometimes, to me, some employees, um, they try certain things, things, they just give up. You have to keep trying. One of the reasons that I was able to kind of begin to make Indiana my home. Again, I'm from Kentucky, didn't know anything about Indianapolis, came here for Lily. And one of the women who I was originally working with, she was an admin for some of our executives in the R&D department. But she was from Indianapolis and she was involved with Circle City Classic and the Black Expo. And she got me to volunteer with her. I just told some of my colleagues last weekend we had our holiday party there. And I said, I'll never forget the first time I went to the Indiana Roof. It was with Circle City Classic and they were having their coaches luncheon there. And I walked in there like I've never seen a place this beautiful in all my life. It was gorgeous. Again, exposure. Right. But my point is she allowed me to begin getting involved with the community and begin seeing all that Indianapolis had to offer, which really engaged me. I had never been at a place where like black excellence and middle class black America had all these events and exposure and opportunities to engage with each other on the level that they did. And that really allowed me to make Indianapolis their home. So I appreciate what you mean in saying employers. And in this case, you know, it was an employee, but you have to go the extra mile to integrate your employees into the community in a way that they begin to feel like, oh, yeah, this could be home. I could stay here a while. I could raise kids here if that's what you choose to do. Or I could start a business here or I could really become an executive here or whatever it is, to your point, that they want to do. So I really, really appreciate that. And so with that, before we begin to talk about how you have gotten engaged and really are a leader uh, in this community, again, of one of the legacy publications here, I want to just talk about, before we move on, the challenges of being a diverse man. You talked about being African-American or black and how in some pockets, some communities, you're always going to be seen as beneath or lower than. But are there specific or unique challenges that you face as an African-American or black man that maybe I don't face as a black woman? And if so, what are those, particularly here in the Midwest or Indianapolis? To me, two of those challenges are sometimes people don't understand black men are doing certain things so they f- fear us for one thing and you remember uh like we're gonna come over come in take over do certain things but that's not not what i'm here to do and, and i'm sure what other people are here to do we're here to learn learn and grow together mm-hmm. and the second thing to me i've learned since since being here they don't think as i said again that 
that we're educated or smart enough to do certain things. Sometimes people judge judge a book by the, the outside cover, cover without even reading the book. So to me, um, just giving black men men the opportunity, uh, you know, because it's, it's a lot, Angela, to me that that black man goes through not just from their work, from their family, doing certain things, being that provider, being being that person that oversees so much, um, uh, wife, family, kids, uh, working all of that. You know what I mean? So so that's why it's so important to black men to uh, take some mental mental time to yourself, do something that you like doing. What is 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 is, is going watch a football game, going to the movies doing something with your wife, your family, doing certain things because time is so precious because we also have to take care of ourselves to be able to take care of other stuff. I appreciate you saying that from a mental health perspective and a physical health perspective, because I think you would certainly agree with me that black men are typically not the the best at taking care of themselves mentally or physically. And I think that gets permeated through the black community. I mean, black women aren't the best either, but we all have to get better at recognizing that stuff's hard sometimes and it wears on you and you do have to give yourself time to regroup and re-energize and get back on the boat and recognize when you need some personal time like you know it's okay to cancel dinner or move it to a month later if tonight's just not a good night right like those things are are really important and I really appreciate you mentioning that and putting some focus on that because that's important so I want to move now to talk talk about, I keep calling you the keeper of this legacy, right? This holder of this great institution that we call the Indianapolis Recorder. I learned quite a while ago that the Indianapolis Recorder is truly one of the oldest, maybe what, second or third oldest, and I'll ask you to tell us some of the history in the country. Again, some of the things that I don't know that our Indianapolis business community even appreciates or knows that we have in this city um, one of the oldest African-American publications in the country. So tell us a bit about the history of the Indianapolis Recorder. How did it begin? And how did you come into leadership? Well, a black institution being open for 128 years has never missed a publication. We start off as a two-page church bulletin inside of church. Since since then, we've evolved, evolved from the newspaper. We have a newspaper a magazine, a magazine website, social media, you name email marketing and all of that. So to me, the, the recorder started solely um, from our mission uh, and founders was to uh, give the black community uh, news for the black community. You know, because sometimes we didn't, <laughs> we wasn't getting, getting news or uh, wasn't getting educated. So sometimes when I hear things now that a, uh, a lot of people use, use the newspaper as, as a way to read, a way to know what's going on and are doing and doing things and doing stuff to me that's uh it, it, it shows the importance of the of the recorder then but also even now so let me f- fast forward backwards i guess um so i moved here, moved here eight years ago when i retired from the military i uh, became the president ceo of the recorder five years ago but my first three years i sat on the board of recorder i was helping the recorder put processes in place procedures in place to to expand the the digital footprint expand the publication from a um, 120 years. All of you done was just thought about just the hard copy paper. But you mean know, times have evolved, so uh, time have evolved. So I, so I was tasked with that. As I jokingly tell people, sometimes when I first moved here, I had hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? On my head. But I, 
But I promise you, Angela, uh, you mean, this is probably one of, uh, you mean, I love the military. I've, I mean, I've served time in the Gulf War. I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, retired military. I love the service. I love our country. But this is probably one of the most satisfying, glorifying jobs. I don't really call it a job. I call it a commitment, a commitment. That's how important it is to me because this is, uh, as I tell people, the recorder is the community paper. So, you mean, this is bigger than me. It's bigger than the recorder. It's, it's about the community. I hear your passion just seeping through it. It tells me you are absolutely the proper person to be kind of leading this charge. And I can only imagine I was responsible for helping put policies and procedures in place for a nonprofit. I can only imagine the task and challenge of trying to do that for a 128 year old paper who has been focused on the hard copy when we're going into a phase of technology and paperless and remote and all that. So that's pretty amazing. And that's a pretty great example of you using some of those transferable skills from the military to really take lead and make that happen. Another question I want to ask you about the recorder is, you know, what do you believe is the critical role? You said that the recorder is so important. It's bigger than you, bigger than the recorder. It's about the community. What's the critical role that you believe the recorder currently plays in informing our local Indianapolis and central Indiana business community about what's happening in the diverse community? So not just speaking to the community and giving news to the community, but also informing our broader, maybe non-diverse community about what is actually happening in the black and diverse community of Indianapolis and what are their concerns? What are they worried about? What are the things that are happening? How do you think that role is? My three E's at the recorder is uh, how do we engage the community? How do we engage people? How do we empower people? How do we empower people by action, action, but also being a leader at doing certain things? Then how can we educate? Education to me um, plays a lot of uh, roles. As you said, uh, how can we also educate people inside of our community, things through the paper, but also people outside of the 46218 where we uh, currently reside at? You remember our current demographic is now the recorder that subscribes 45% of African-American, 35% um, Caucasian and, and the rest. So we have a, a, ride, a wide variety of uh, re- readership. But to me, the recorder plays the role, plays the role to me of informing not just the African-Americans, but all certain things that's going on inside of certain communities. You remember, sometimes we, we write about negative things or, um, or, or bad things in, inside of the uh, newspaper and, and the recorder, but mostly it's, it's, it's things that's uplifting positive because sometimes we have to see ourselves as as doing positive things or, or doing things to even believe believe um, in certain missions and doing certain things so it's you know it's it's a task to be honest with you but it's it's, it's a task that me along with my staff staff are ready to uh, to come in hand as i think about the role the diverse and african-american black publications have played in so many of our civil rights movements and so many of the movements and initiatives for greater change, greater social justice, you know, all the 
things that clearly are still happening right now. We're still fighting so many of the same fights. So what drives you? you you're clearly so passionate, but you just came here eight years ago. I mean, this thing's been going on 128 years. So what drives you to ensure that the Indianapolis Recorder continues to have the opportunity to speak truth to power, to continue to highlight the issues and the challenges and the concerns that the African-American and black community are experiencing. When I grew up, we didn't have an African-American paper. You remember? So imagine me uh, leaving the military. uh, I think I saw my first African-American paper was in, I think it was North Carolina or South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So that piqued my interest. To be honest, I didn't even know that we even had certain things that even exist. So fast forward to me coming here now and having the opportunity to run the the third oldest at 128 years, uh, that's a lot of uh, pressure, but also good pressure. You know what I mean? This is awesome. Um, it's just yeah, it's, it's it's breathtaking, Angela. To be honest, to even think about the direction and also the role that the recorder has played for so many years, it drives me to inform our community, to form our community. Because if we don't tell certain issues or certain stories are doing certain things or allow things to go not say it, then who was said for us? Right, right. We've had plenty of people, people who've had issues and certain things that write into the recorder and tell us certain things. We're the voice for the voiceless. You mean our one of our mottos is we're the voice for the who we are the voice for the voiceless. And I mean that and take it seriously. It's a heavy responsibility, right? I mean, there is a lot of legacy there. There is a lot of history there. And I appreciate that, you know, you've taken on that responsibility, particularly not being from Indiana or Indianapolis. I mean, I think that even makes it an even more daunting task is that, you know, you haven't lived here your whole life. You haven't been a Hoosier your whole life, but yet you take it on with such passion and fury. And I know this personally because I see you out in the community just like I'm out in the community. So I appreciate that you all continue to, you know, take on the issues, be a voice for the voiceless and continue to speak truth to power. And I think that is a very, very awesome task. And now it's time for a quick break. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Robert Chagog, President and CEO of Recorded Media Group, on this 29th episode of the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. I want to ask you about just journalism generally, right? Because you're now the president and CEO of a whole journalism and media organization. You mentioned you got digital, social media, like you're doing all the things, right? So I recently talked to um, Maria Kwiatkowski, who's an Indianapolis reporter who works for USA Today, just about the need for more diverse journalists, how the experience even that she's witnessed with how maybe diverse journalists write particular stories and get so much more pushback and blowback than she does when she writes similar stories, et cetera. Just really speaking to the disparity that I think we all recognize as in, you know, many professional fields, but this is one that is outside of my realm, right? I don't know about journalism and media, or I guess I'm learning, should I say. But 
again, we know that just like in every other field, diverse journalists, diverse employees, et cetera, are given employment opportunities or should be given employment opportunities and creative opportunities to write and authentically convey their views of the world that may not always be received by the broader community. So I want to know how you and the recorder or recorder media group is helping to expose our younger generation to journalism as a field. And I read, and I don't know if this program is even still in existence, so I want you to tell me about it. Your journalism and writing seminar programs or what they call JAWS programs. I don't know if those are still happening, but I read that they expose high school students to the field of journalism and what that's like, what that entails, what that requires. Tell us a bit about that. The recorder has been doing JAWS for 20 plus years. So we're still doing it, but we're doing, uh, but we're in the process now of uh, making Jaws, uh, I, I call it Jaws 2.0. <laughs> As I said earlier, because this is bigger to me than just writing, just writing or doing things, uh, teaching students about uh, broadcasting, podcasting, teaching students about social media and doing certain things. Because, quick example of me, imagine me uh, learning how to read and learn how to write. Remember, I would also imagine me going to, if, it, if we had access to something like a Jaws program for professional writers who have written thousand things, can critique you in doing certain things. To me, that makes you, you better prepared for uh, when you do interviews, make you better prepared for when you do, uh, do resumes and do certain things. So this is bigger, bigger than just the, uh, just the journalism side. We are love for students to to go to journalism and do journalism. But to me, what, what we've seen is students all around academics get better. We've had many, um, many job students. Um, some work now at, uh, at, uh, Eli Lilly here corporate. Some has, uh, Ophir Winfrey in Chicago, CNN. I can name 20 offhand that are doing great things. But what we realize also is we need to do more with the students that's uh, not writing well, not doing certain things, get them interested, find out what they're interested in, uh, writing about certain things and doing stuff. Because what I also realized over, over the, the few years is it's less and less uh, minority and black students going to college for journalism. And my fear, if we don't continue the pipeline or grow the pi- pipeline bigger, we won't have many people telling our stories. And I mean that is we have to help people that look like me that's black and brown to tell our story because sometimes when other other people tell our stories it's, it's not told right. the way it need to be told you can ask anyone in my um that writes for me now i allow for the most part my journalists to tell the story the way they want to tell the story because it's it's important for them which also means it's important for me to hear things from a different perspective Journalism is very different from law, but the thing that they have very in common is writing, right? I do a lot, a lot of writing, and it's not always expressive writing like it may be in journalism. Obviously, you know, I'm doing legal writing, making arguments, et cetera, et cetera. But the ability to write, you are absolutely right, is a foundational point in almost every kind of career path, the ability to communicate, the ability to express yourself, the ability to articulate your point, right? And be concise. I appreciate you mentioned that you found that people in your jobs program are just do better academically all around because writing is so fundamental. How do you, for those who may be interested or have high school students out there that 
are interested in journalism or wanting to write better, how can you apply to the JAWS program or what are some of the requirements to get involved? The requirements are basically just just having the need, well, not the need, the ability to write certain things, but also the willingness to learn. Because as I said said earlier, you remember, even me, since I've came to the recorder, my writing has gotten better. I even send, um, send certain things I sent out to the public. I'm, uh, my editor and, and, and managing editor, proofread and do certain things and do stuff. But the more you write, the better you become. The more confidence you have in writing things and doing stuff. So to me, they can easily reply, go to the uh, recorder's website or call 317-924-5143. Just give it a, a chance and opportunity to express yourself. What did you said earlier? Well, it's it's um, any, any kind of writing to me. It, it, it leads to you at critical thinking, you uh, being able to articulate your words on, on paper. Once you been able to put it on paper, now you uh, feel more confident than what you see it. Now you can speak it out aloud. I remember when Marissa was on, we were talking about opportunities for diverse attorneys to get involved with writing, and neither one of us really had any resources. So that's why I wanted you to put that out there, because I have no doubt that there are some diverse students and even non-diverse students who are interested in writing, interested in becoming better writers, being able to express themselves, and that may be a great opportunity. So I'm going to wrap up soon, but I certainly would be remiss if we did not talk about the upcoming Champion of Diversity Awards that are coming up next month. Now, the Recorder Media Group, Minority Business Review, and the Indiana Minority Business Magazine have been holding your diversity awards for 17, 18 years now. This is nothing new in your world. This is the 17th annual Champion of Diversity Awards that will be coming up in January of 2024. I have had the distinct pleasure of being an honoree. I know how important these awards are for um, recognizing local, state, and national diversity champions who continue to make a positive impact on our minority communities in Indiana, central Indiana, and across the country. So what I want to ask you is, particularly now when diversity, equity, inclusion, those type of initiatives, those type of programs are under such legal and institutional attack. Why do you believe it's so important for our local and national business communities to continue to recognize and appreciate the diversity champions amongst us? And what are some of the highlights of this year's Diversity Champion Awards, if you can give us a little snippet or sneak peek? As you can say, 17 years, as I often tell people, we've been the recorder, the, uh, the uh, Indiana Minority Business Magazine have been having this award for 17 years, even before the word diversity became came the, the word right. or, or, um, or, or being sexy, whatever you want to call it. So we started this award because we noticed that a, a lot of uh, minority people doing great things, things that not that's not getting recognition. Sometimes. We have to recognize our people while they're still here that's doing great things. Because sometimes people need to see us also doing great things. Not saying the professionals, but also the youth. Sometimes youth need to see us doing certain things, getting awards and doing stuff. So now they believe in their mind that they can achieve and do this. That's important to me. That's important to the recorder. It has always been important. It's important to the Mays family, Bill Mays, Rose Mays, and all of them. So this year's award, award is, is the 17th year. It's, it's going to be at the JW Marriott. We're, we're awarding 20 awardees across the whole state of Indiana, even, even nationally awards. 
we bring in a national you know, MC speaker. His, his name is Ramon Ray. So this year's awards, um, you learn something from each award every year. So it, it gets better and better. Last year we had had about eight hundred and fifty. This year we almost at at eight thousand. So it's it's important to get the to to get the award award. But it's it's also important to me, Angela. Once you come inside the room and you see, as you said earlier, so much black excellence, so many business owners behind it, the networking part of it, and just learning, listening, and talking. To me, all that is key to success. I mean, it's another one of those wonderful events that is so specific to Indianapolis. This is exactly what I was talking about. The Circle City Classic Luncheon and the IBE, like there's so much black excellence and not just black, diverse, diverse talent for sure, but particularly black and African-American affluence and excellence in this city and in the central Indiana community and the state that really does need to be recognized on a national level. I mean, we are doing amazing things in this city with all of our posts, so many people in so many different positions, so many different communities, so many different industries, but yet come together to make sure that our own are continue to be recognized for the excellent things they are doing. And this is but one exceptional platform that continues to recognize so many folks. And you are right. As much as it is important for black youth or diverse youth or non-diverse youth to see diverse talent and really exceptional professionals being recognized and appreciated, because I will tell you, there's something very special about getting a recognition from your own people as compared to anyone else who you may get it from. But it's also important for the professionals. Some of these roles and, and positions and titles and opportunities to influence are really, really hard. And we do a really, really good job of putting on a good face and always showing up and continuing to fight the good fight. But I know so many of our diverse leaders in this city who have been through real serious challenges in their careers, in their ascension to the next level. And that is part of what this particular award program celebrates is not just that you've made it to a particular place, but the journey you took to get to that place that many may not even see or appreciate. But I think that's kind of what drives us all together is that I may not know the challenges you face in being a CEO of a journalism organization or a media organization, but I do know you face some challenges and I don't have to know exactly what they are to empathize with the fact that you don't get to where you are without going through some serious and tough challenges and just push back and blow back. And this award program, in addition to so many that you and I see each other at and have the opportunity to attend in the community, really does celebrate not just the level or the position, but the journey to get there and how we all can take on that journey. So what is some of the things you're looking forward to at this particular event? Or you mentioned that you've got a national uh, MC coming in, so a new addition. What are some of the other things that may be different from some of the years past or some new things that you're doing this year? It always amazed me, even, even this year, we have 200 plus people that are putting nominations to be nominated. So to me, it always amazes me. And I'm saying this again, that the many minority people that's doing great things, that's not being recognized. 
that's not being recognized. So to me, when I see people that uh that has given has gotten awards before, but also getting awards now, it it, it brings me a sense of joy, a sense of joy and happiness that uh, you are, you are able to be recognized uh for the work work that you have done and and the work that that you continue to do. You're absolutely right. Sometimes we don't see see the struggle. You mean sometimes people just see the outside and and, and I mean we make inside. it look real you know, good. Though. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean, but uh, you mean it's you mean it's it's, it's a struggle sometimes doing certain things. But this year's event, you may imagine recognizing twenty twenty individuals and also companies um, across. And I think it's it's sixteen local and four national people that's that's going above and beyond and doing things um, in a law hospital, uh, doing things in the community, uh, a rising star, just doing things. To me, it it, it makes me smile. And the community does, too. I mean, it's one of those feel-good opportunities. Often it's a family reunion, right? You get to see people that you just don't get to see because everybody's doing their own thing. But it's an opportunity to celebrate what can be, what has been, and what could be in the future. And I think those are some of the things that the Indianapolis Recorder and your media group continue to allow our community to really have those moments where we celebrate each other, we lift each other up, we give each other our flowers, right? And that's so important. And I I will continue to say, being a person just like you, who's not from here, that's very special about this community and this city and this state. And there are plenty of places that are way more diverse than we are that have some of these programs. But I think Indianapolis does a really, really exceptional job of allowing diverse communities to really prop up one another, serve as a community and a support for one another, and keep striving for excellence. And the recorder has been there for 128 years, being the foundation of that excellence. And and we so thank you all for the role that you play in our community and will continue to play for another 128 years, right? Yes. So as we close, I want to ask you, Robert, you know, what are some of the tools or tips or resources that you would suggest to any Indiana leader who's serious about recruiting and hiring diverse talent in their ranks? And then what would you advise diverse talent, particularly diverse talent, looking to get involved with media or journalism as opportunities to potentially stay in Indiana and not have to go national to Chicago or L.A. or, you know, other places. To leaders here, to me, we have to embrace, embrace our ethnic sixty. And I tell people this all the time, mean what you say and say what you mean. So I say that to say, if this is actually what you mean, let's do it. Let's do it. That means, uh, as I said earlier, speaking to people, asking different people. As you said, IBE, who's been uh, here 50 plus years, uh, the Urban League. It's, it's, it's a lot of pillar organizations here that's doing things for the minority community. So sometimes we need to have meet, meetings with some of those people to see what they've been doing. Recommendations to do certain things to fix some of these issues and some of these problems. Because uh, we have to, it's, it's our duty to, uh, Angela, I feel like, uh, to try to fix some of these things to make things better. Because uh, when we hire more diversity from the, uh, not just the bottom level, but the C-suite executive do certain things, it, 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 it changes the whole, the whole landscape to me of, um, of everybody. And then my my second question, what do you think about the diverse talent that may be looking to get into 
journalism, media? Do they have opportunities? Marissa and I talked about this too, because I think of journalism and media, and certainly before I was involved involved with the IBJ, you got to go to California or you got to go to the coast and do something to be involved with real media. But the reality is, again, we have pillar institutions right here in our city where there are all kind of opportunities. I tell people since COVID, almost three and a half years ago, we highlight a minority business, five minority business per week for the past three years. It's, 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 it's pro bono. It's, it's through the recorded charity. So we've highlighted almost a thousand business. Just give them a highlight, give them basically all of their information, doing a feature story on them. We even hire more than just my staff to write stories. We we are bringing people in the, in, the, in the community to write stories, telling things and doing stuff. You're right. In, Indiana is so well positioned to me. We have three black media here uh, with the recorder, Radio One and Wish TV. And that don't happen often. We also have great universities, uh, journalism program. We have Ball State, Franklin College and doing certain things. So to me, if you're trying, trying to and want to do more things in journalism, reach out to one of us, reach out to the recorder, and I'll be more than welcome to introduce anyone to anybody. Because to me, as I said again, this is bigger than the recorder. If I can do anything to advance you, to to help you be a bigger than what you're trying to do, and also spread the word, this is what we, we need to do as a community. So I'm going to end with, Robert, 128 years of history, legacy that you're now championing and leading. What is your vision for the next, you know, 100 years or however long that you have the opportunity to not just control, but to lay out the strategic trajectory of the recorder? What what do you see the growth looking like 100 years from now? What would you love to see? My whole team now is going through a, a, a like an eight, 18 month boot camp. All of my from my editor, uh, well, my whole writing team, all from my editor to my staff writer. And my marketing department, department we, we, are, we are going through a uh, boot camp to learn uh, social media, to, to uh, learn SMO, to learn uh, how to uh, to write certain things and do things, to click on Google and do certain things. So to me, the landscape, to me, the uh, the trajectory uh, on this digital side, we've always had a website. But when I came here, refreshed the website up. We, we have two websites now that's that's getting more traffic, traffic that that. I've I've seen in a, a long time. So so imagine us us doubling down, still doing the uh, the uh, hard copy paper, still doing the magazine because I still love love to read things in a print also. But imagine doing that, but doubling down on uh, all this other technology. And you remember? So my plan is hopefully for us in the near future for the recorder to have his own app. You know, you you can go to the app and and, and pull everything up from the from the uh, the recorder, the Indiana Business Magazine, the the uh, business review and, and uh, social media and all of that. Thank you. I want to thank you again on behalf of the community for all you're doing, for continuing to uh, speak truth to power, to give a voice to the voiceless, and really just continue to allow our Indiana professional and business community to con- have a mechanism and a forum to understand and appreciate and read what's going on in the diverse community that they may or may not be aware of or a part of. It is important for all of our constituents in the community, in our city, to be able to empathize and appreciate what each other's going through and how we can all continue to work together to make 
this city and this state as good and even better and beyond. Thank you so much, Robert, for being here on the 29th episode of the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. We'll see you all next year in 2024. Thank you again to Robert Chagog, and thanks to you for joining us on this 29th episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the central Indiana business community.